Chapter Fifteen of Father Goriot by Honoré de Balzac, translated by Ellen Marriage. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Bruce Peary. Chapter Fifteen. That day had gone by like a dream for Eugène, and the sense of unreality lasted into the evening, so that, in spite of his energetic character and clear-headedness, his ideas were a chaos as he sat beside Goriot in the cab. The old man's voice was full of unwonted happiness, but Eugène had been shaken by so many emotions that the words sounded in his ears like words spoken in a dream. "'It was finished this morning. All three of us are going to dine there together. Together! Do you understand? I have not dined with my Delphine, my little Delphine, these four years, and I shall have her for a whole evening. We have been at your lodging the whole time since morning.' I have been working like a porter in my shirt-sleeves, helping to carry in the furniture. Aha! You don't know what pretty ways she has. At table she will look after me. Here, papa, just try this, it is nice, and I shall not be able to eat. Oh, it is a long while since I have been with her in quiet everyday life, as we shall have her. It really seems as if the world has been turned upside down. Upside down? repeated father goriot why the world has never been so right side up i see none but smiling faces in the streets people who shake hands cordially and embrace each other people who all look as happy as if they were going to dine with their daughter and gobble down a nice little dinner that she went with me to order at the chef at the cafe des anglais but pshaw with her beside you gall and wormwood would be as sweet as honey i feel as if i were coming back to life again said eugene why hurry up there cried father goriot letting down the window in front get on faster i will give you five francs if you get to the place i told you of in ten minutes time with this prospect before him the cabman crossed paris with miraculous celerity how that fellow crawls said father goriot but where are you taking me eugene asked him to your own house said goriot the cab stopped in the rue d'artois father goriot stepped out first and flung ten francs to the man with the recklessness of a widower returning to bachelor ways come along upstairs he said to rastignac they crossed a courtyard and climbed up to the third floor of a new and handsome house there they stopped before a door, but before Goriot could ring, it was opened by Thérèse, Madame de Nucingen's maid. Eugène found himself in a charming set of chambers. An ante-room, a little drawing-room, a bedroom, and a study, looking out upon a garden. The furniture and the decorations of the little drawing-room were of the most daintily charming description. The room was full of soft light and delphine rose up from a low chair by the fire and stood before him she set her fire-screen down on the chimney-piece and spoke with tenderness in every tone of her voice so we had to go in search of you sir you who are so slow to understand therese left the room the student took delphine in his arms and held her in a tight clasp his eyes filled with tears of joy this last contrast between his present surroundings and the scenes he had just witnessed was too much for rastignac's overwrought nerves after the day's strain and excitement that had wearied heart and brain he was almost overcome by it 
i felt sure myself that he loved you murmured father goriot while eugene lay back bewildered on the sofa utterly unable to speak a word or to reason out how and why the magic wand had been waved to bring about this final transformation scene but you must see your rooms said madame de nucingen she took his hand and led him into a room carpeted and furnished like her own indeed down to the smallest details it was a reproduction in miniature of delphine's apartment there is no bed said rastignac no monsieur she answered reddening and pressing his hand eugene looking at her understood young though he yet was how deeply modesty is implanted in the heart of a woman who loves you are one of those beings whom we cannot choose but to adore for ever he said in her ear yes the deeper and truer love is the more mysterious and closely veiled it should be i can dare to say so since we understand each other so well no one shall learn our secret oh so i am nobody i suppose growled the father you know quite well that we means you ah that is what i wanted you will not mind me will you i shall go and come like a good fairy who makes himself felt everywhere without being seen shall i not eh delphinette ninette dedel was it not a good idea of mine to say to you there are some nice rooms to let in the rue d'artois let us furnish them for him and she would not hear of it ah your happiness has been all my doing i am the author of your happiness and of your existence fathers must always be giving if they would be happy themselves always giving they would not be fathers else was that how it happened asked eugene yes she would not listen to me she was afraid that people would talk as if the rubbish that they say about you were to be compared with happiness why all women dream of doing what she has done father goriot found himself without an audience for madame de nucingen had led rastignac into the study he heard a kiss given and taken low though the sound was the study was furnished as elegantly as the other rooms and nothing was wanting there have we guessed your wishes rightly she asked as they returned to the drawing-room for dinner yes he said only too well alas for all this luxury so well carried out this realization of pleasant dreams the elegance that satisfies all the romantic fancies of youth appeals to me so strongly that i cannot but feel that it is my rightful possession but i cannot accept it from you and i am too poor as yet to ah you say me nay already she said with arch imperiousness and a charming little pout of the lips a woman's way of laughing away scruples but eugene had submitted so lately to that solemn self-questioning and vautrin's arrest had so plainly shown him the depths of the pit that lay ready to his feet that the instincts of generosity and honour had been strengthened in him and he could not allow himself to be coaxed into abandoning his high-minded determinations profound melancholy filled his mind do you really mean to refuse said madame de nucingen and do you know what such a refusal means that you are not sure of yourself 
that you do not dare to bind yourself to me are you really afraid of betraying my affection if you love me if i love you why should you shrink back from such a slight obligation if you but knew what a pleasure it has been to see after all the arrangements of this bachelor establishment you would not hesitate any longer you would ask me to forgive you for your hesitation i had some money that belonged to you and i have made good use of it that is all you mean this for magnanimity but it is very little of you you are asking me for far more than this ah she cried as eugene's passionate glance was turned on her and you are making difficulties about the merest trifles oh if you feel no love whatever for me refuse by all means my fate hangs on a word from you speak father she said after a pause make him listen to reason can he imagine that i am less nice than he is on the point of honour father goriot was looking on and listening to this pretty quarrel with a placid smile as if he had found some balm for all the sorrows of life child that you are she cried again catching eugene's hand you are just beginning life you find barriers at the outset that many a man finds insurmountable a woman's hand opens the way and you shrink back why you are sure to succeed you will have a brilliant future success is written on that broad forehead of yours and will you not be able to repay me my loan of to-day did not a lady in olden times arm her knight with sword and helmet and coat of mail and find him a charger so that he might fight for her in the tournament well then eugene these things that i offer you are the weapons of this age every one who means to be something must have such tools as these a pretty place your garret must be if it is like papa's room see dinner is waiting all this time do you want to make me unhappy why don't you answer she said shaking his hand mon dieu papa make up his mind for him or i will go away and never see him any more i will make up your mind said goriot coming down from the clouds now my dear monsieur eugene the next thing is to borrow money of the jews isn't it there is positively no help for it said eugene all right i will give you credit said the other drawing out a cheap leather pocket-book much the worse for wear i have turned jew myself i paid for everything here are the invoices you do not owe a penny for anything here it did not come to very much five thousand francs at most and i am going to lend you the money myself i am not a woman you cannot refuse me you shall give me a receipt on a scrap of paper and you can return it some time or other delphine and eugene looked at each other in amazement tears sprang to their eyes rastignac held out his hand and grasped goriot's warmly well what is all this about are you not my children oh my poor father said madame de nucingen how did you do it ah now you ask me when i made up my mind to move him nearer to you and saw you buying things as if they were wedding presents i said to myself she will never be able to pay for them the attorney says that those law proceedings will last quite six months before your husband can be made to disgorge your fortune well and good 
I sold out my property in the funds that brought in thirteen hundred and fifty livres a year, and bought a safe annuity of twelve hundred francs a year for fifteen thousand francs. Then I paid your tradesmen out of the rest of the capital. As for me, children, I have a room upstairs for which I pay fifty crowns a year. I can live like a prince on two francs a day and still have something left over. I shall not have to spend anything much on clothes, for I never wear anything out. This fortnight past I have been laughing in my sleeve, thinking to myself how happy they are going to be. And, well, now, are you not happy? Oh, papa, papa, cried Madame de Nucingen, springing to her father, who took her on his knee. She covered him with kisses her fair hair brushed his cheek her tears fell on the withered face that had grown so bright and radiant dear father what a father you are no there is not another father like you under the sun if eugene loved you before what must he feel for you now why children why delphinette cried goriot who had not felt his daughter's heart beat against his breast for ten years do you want me to die of joy my poor heart will break come monsieur eugene we are quits already and the old man strained her to his breast with such fierce and passionate force that she cried out oh you are hurting me she said i am hurting you he grew pale at the words the pain expressed in his face seemed greater than it is given to humanity to know the agony of this Christ of paternity can only be compared with the masterpieces of those princes of the palate who have left for us the record of their visions of an agony suffered for a whole world by the Saviour of men. Father Goriot pressed his lips very gently against the waist that his fingers had grasped too roughly. "'Oh, no, no!' he cried. "'I have not hurt you, have I?' and his smile seemed to repeat the question. You have hurt me with that cry just now. The things cost rather more than that, he said in her ear with another gentle kiss, but I had to deceive him about it, or he would have been angry. Eugène sat dumb with amazement in the presence of this inexhaustible love. He gazed at Goriot, and his face betrayed the artless admiration which shapes the beliefs of youth. I will be worthy of all this, he cried. Oh, my Eugène, that is nobly said, and Madame de Nucingen kissed the law student on the forehead. He gave up Mademoiselle Taillefer and her millions for you, said Father Goriot. Yes, the little thing was in love with you, and now that her brother is dead she is as rich as Croesus. Oh, why did you tell her? cried Rastignac. Eugène, delphine said in his ear i have one regret now this evening ah how i will love you and for ever this is the happiest day i have had since you two were married cried goriot god may send me any suffering so long as i do not suffer through you and i can still say in this short month of february i had more happiness than other men have in their whole lives Look at me, Fifine, he said to his daughter. She is very beautiful, is she not? Tell me now, have you seen many women with that pretty soft color, that little dimple of hers? No, I thought not. Ah, oh, well, and 
but for me this lovely woman would never have been and very soon happiness will make her a thousand times lovelier happiness through you i could give up my place in heaven to you neighbor if needs be and go down to hell instead come let us have dinner he added scarcely knowing what he said everything is ours poor dear father he rose and went over to her and took her face in his hands and set a kiss on the plates of hair if you only knew little one how happy you can make me how little it takes to make me happy will you come and see me sometimes i shall be just above so it is only a step promise me say that you will yes dear father say it again yes i will my kind father hush hush i should make you say it a hundred times over if i followed my own wishes let us have dinner the three behaved like children that evening and father goriot's spirits were certainly not the least wild he lay at his daughter's feet kissed them gazed into her eyes rubbed his head against her dress in short no young lover could have been more extravagant or more tender you see delphine said with a look at eugene so long as my father is with us he monopolizes me he will be rather in the way sometimes eugene had himself already felt certain twinges of jealousy and could not blame this speech that contained the germ of all ingratitude and when will the rooms be ready asked eugene looking round we must all leave them this evening i suppose yes but to-morrow you must come and dine with me she answered with an eloquent glance it is our night at the italien i shall go to the pit said her father it was midnight madame de nucingen's carriage was waiting for her and father goriot and the student walked back to the maison vauquer talking of delphine and warming over their talk till there grew up a curious rivalry between the two violent passions eugene could not help seeing that the father's selfless love was deeper and more steadfast than his own for this worshipper delphine was always pure and fair and her father's adoration drew its fervor from a whole past as well as a future of love they found madame vauquer by the stove with sylvie and christophe to keep her company the old landlady sitting like marius among the ruins of carthage was waiting for the two lodgers that yet remained to her and bemoaning her lot with the sympathetic sylvie tasso's lamentations as recorded in byron's poem are undoubtedly eloquent but for sheer force of truth they fall far short of the widow's cry from the depths only three cups of coffee in the morning sylvie oh dear to have your house emptied in this way is enough to break your heart what is life now my lodgers are gone nothing at all just think of it it is just as if all the furniture had been taken out of the house and your furniture is your life how have i offended heaven to draw down all this trouble upon me and haricot beans and potatoes laid in for twenty people the police in my house too we shall have to live on potatoes now and christophe will have to go the savoyard who was fast asleep suddenly woke up at this and said madame questioningly 
poor fellow said sylvie he is like a dog in the dead season too nobody is moving now i would like to know where the lodgers are to drop down from it drives me distracted and that old witch of a michonneau goes and takes poiret with her what can she have done to make him so fond of her he runs about after her like a little dog lord said sylvie flinging up her head those old maids are up to all sorts of tricks there's that poor monsieur vautrin that they made out to be a convict the widow went on well you know that is too much for me sylvie i can't bring myself to believe it such a lively man as he was and paid fifteen francs a month for his coffee of an evening paid you every penny on the nail too and open-handed he was said christophe there is some mistake said sylvie why no there isn't he said so himself said madame vauquer and to think that all these things have happened in my house and in a quarter where you never see a cat go by on my word as an honest woman it's like a dream for look here we saw louis the sixteenth meet with his mishap we saw the fall of the emperor and we saw him come back and fall again there was nothing out of the way in all that but lodging-houses are not liable to revolutions you can do without a king but you must eat all the same and so long as a decent woman a de conflans born and bred will give you all sorts of good things for dinner nothing short of the end of the world ought to but there it is the end of the world that is just what it is and to think that mademoiselle michonneau who made all this mischief is to have a thousand crowns a year for it so i hear cried sylvie don't speak of her she is a wicked woman said madame vauquer she is going to the bounot who charges less than cost but the bounot is capable of anything she must have done frightful things robbed and murdered people in her time she ought to be put in jail for life instead of that poor dear eugene and goriot rang the doorbell at that moment ah here are my two faithful lodgers said the widow sighing but the two faithful lodgers who retained but shadowy recollections of the misfortunes of their lodging-house announced to their hostess without more ado that they were about to remove to the chaussee d'antin sylvie cried the widow this is the last straw gentlemen this will be the death of me it has quite upset me there's a weight on my chest i am ten years older for this day upon my word i shall go out of my senses and what is to be done with the haricots oh well if i am to be left here all by myself you shall go to-morrow christophe good-night gentlemen and she went what is the matter now eugene inquired of sylvie lord everybody is going about his business and that has addled her wits there she is crying upstairs it will do her good to snivel a bit it's the first time she has cried since i've been with her by the morning madame vauquer to use her own expression had made up her mind to it true she still wore a doleful countenance as might be expected of a woman who has lost all her lodgers and whose manner of life had been suddenly revolutionized but she had all her wits about her her grief was genuine and profound it was real pain of mind 
for her purse had suffered, the routine of her existence had been broken. A lover's farewell glance at his lady-love's window is not more mournful than Madame Vauquer's survey of the empty places round her table. Eugène administered comfort, telling the widow that Bianchon, whose term of residence at the hospital was about to expire, would doubtless take his, Rastignac's, place, that the official from the museum had often expressed a desire to have Madame Couture's rooms, and that in a very few days her household would be on the old footing. "'God send it may, my dear sir, but bad luck has come to lodge here. There'll be a death in the house before ten days are out, you'll see.' And she gave a lugubrious look round the dining-room. "'Whose turn will it be, I wonder?' It is just as well that we are moving out, said Eugène to Father Goriot in a low voice. Madame, said Sylvie, running in with a scared face, I have not seen Mistigui these three days. Ah, oh, well, if my cat is dead, if he has gone and left us, I... The poor woman could not finish her sentence. She clasped her hands and hid her face on the back of her armchair, quite overcome by this dreadful portent. By twelve o'clock, when the postman reaches that quarter, Eugène received a letter. The dainty envelope bore the Beauséant arms on the seal, and contained an invitation to the Vicomtesse's great ball, which had been talked of in Paris for a month. A little note for Eugène was slipped in with the card. I think, monsieur, that you will undertake with pleasure to interpret my sentiments to Madame de Nucingen, so I am sending the card for which you asked me to you. I shall be delighted to make the acquaintance of Madame de Restaud's sister. Pray introduce that charming lady to me, and do not let her monopolize all your affection, for you owe me not a little in return for mine. Vicomtesse de Beauséant well said eugene to himself as he read the note a second time madame de beauseant says pretty plainly that she does not want the baron de nucingen he went to delphine at once in his joy he had procured this pleasure for her and doubtless he would receive the price of it madame de nucingen was dressing Rastignac waited in her boudoir, enduring as best he might the natural impatience of an eager temperament for the reward desired and withheld for a year. Such sensations are only known once in a life. The first woman to whom a man is drawn, if she is really a woman, that is to say, if she appears to him amid the splendid accessories that form a necessary background to life in the world of Paris, will never have a rival. Love in Paris is a thing distinct and apart, for in Paris neither men nor women are the dupes of the commonplaces by which people seek to throw a veil over their motives, or to parade a fine affectation of disinterestedness in their sentiments. In this country within a country it is not merely required of a woman that she should satisfy the senses and the soul she knows perfectly well that she has still greater obligations to discharge, that she must fulfill the countless demands of a vanity that enters into every fibre of that living organism called society. Love for her is, above all things, and by its very nature, a vainglorious, brazen-fronted, ostentatious, thriftless charlatan. 
if at the court of louis the fourteenth there was not a woman but envied mademoiselle de la valliere the reckless devotion of passion that led the grand monarch to tear the priceless ruffles at his wrists in order to assist the entry of a duc de vermandois into the world what can you expect of the rest of society you must have youth and wealth and rank nay you must if possible have more than these for the more incense you bring with you to burn at the shrine of the god the more favourably will he regard the worshipper love is a religion and his cult must in the nature of things be more costly than those of all other deities love the spoiler stays for a moment and then passes on like the urchin of the streets his course may be traced by the ravages that he has made the wealth of feeling and imagination is the poetry of the garret how should love exist there without that wealth if there are exceptions who do not subscribe to these draconian laws of the parisian code they are solitary examples such souls live so far out of the main current that they are not borne away by the doctrines of society they dwell beside some clear spring of ever-flowing water without seeking to leave the green shade happy to listen to the echoes of the infinite in everything around them and in their own souls waiting in patience to take their flight for heaven while they look with pity upon those of earth rastignac like most young men who have been early impressed by the circumstances of power and grandeur meant to enter the lists fully armed the burning ambition of conquest possessed him already perhaps he was conscious of his powers but as yet he knew neither the end to which his ambition was to be directed nor the means of attaining it in default of the pure and sacred love that fills a life ambition may become something very noble subduing to itself every thought of personal interest and setting as the end the greatness not of one man but of a whole nation but the student had not yet reached the time of life when a man surveys the whole course of existence and judges it soberly hitherto he had scarcely so much as shaken off the spell of the fresh and gracious influences that envelop a childhood in the country like green leaves and grass he had hesitated on the brink of the parisian rubicon and in spite of the prickings of ambition he still clung to a lingering tradition of an old ideal the peaceful life of the noble in his chateau but yesterday evening at the sight of his rooms those scruples had vanished he had learned what it was to enjoy the material advantages of fortune as he had already enjoyed the social advantages of birth he ceased to be a provincial from that moment and slipped naturally and easily into a position which opened up a prospect of a brilliant future so as he waited for delphine in the pretty boudoir where he felt that he had a certain right to be he felt himself so far away from the rastignac who came back to paris a year ago that turning some power of inner vision upon this latter he asked himself whether that past self bore any resemblance to the rastignac of that moment madame is in her room therese came to tell him the woman's voice made him start 
he found delphine lying back in her low chair by the fireside looking fresh and bright the sight of her among the flowing draperies of muslin suggested some beautiful tropical flower where the fruit is set amid the blossom well she said with a tremor in her voice here you are guess what i bring for you said eugene sitting down beside her he took possession of her arm to kiss her hand madame de nucingen gave a joyful start as she saw the card she turned to eugene there were tears in her eyes as she flung her arms about his neck and drew him towards her in a frenzy of gratified vanity and i owe this happiness to you to thee she whispered the more intimate word in his ear but therese is in my dressing-room let us be prudent this happiness yes for i may call it so when it comes to me through you is surely more than a triumph for self-love no one has been willing to introduce me into that set perhaps just now i may seem to you to be frivolous petty shallow like a parisienne but remember my friend that i am ready to give up all for you and that if i long more than ever for an entrance into the faubourg saint germain it is because i shall meet you there madame de beauseant's note seems to say very plainly that she does not expect to see the baron de nucingen at her ball don't you think so said eugene why yes said the baroness as she returned the letter those women have a talent for insolence but it is of no consequence i shall go my sister is sure to be there and sure to be very beautifully dressed eugene she went on lowering her voice she will go to dispel ugly suspicions you do not know the things that people are saying about her only this morning nucingen came to tell me that they had been discussing her at the club great heavens on what does a woman's character and the honor of a whole family depend i feel that i am nearly touched and wounded in my poor sister according to some people monsieur de Trailles must have put his name to bills for a hundred thousand francs nearly all of them are overdue and proceedings are threatened in this predicament it seems that my sister sold her diamonds to a jew the beautiful diamonds that belonged to her husband's mother madame de Rostaud the elder you have seen her wearing them in fact nothing else has been talked about for the last two days so i can see that anastasie is sure to come to madame de beauseant's ball in tissue of gold and ablaze with diamonds to draw all eyes upon her and i will not be outshone she has tried to eclipse me all her life she has never been kind to me and i have helped her so often and always had money for her when she had none but never mind other people now to-day i mean to be perfectly happy at one o'clock that morning eugene was still with madame de nucingen in the midst of their lover's farewell a farewell full of hope of bliss to come she said in a troubled voice i am very fearful superstitious give what name you like to my presentiments but i am afraid that my happiness will be paid for by some horrible catastrophe child said eugene ah have we changed places and am i the child to-night she asked laughingly 
Eugène went back to the Maison Vauquer, never doubting but that he should leave it for good on the morrow, and on the way he fell to dreaming the bright dreams of youth, when the cup of happiness has left its sweetness on the lips. "'Well?' cried Goriot, as Rastignac passed by his door. "'Yes,' said Eugène, "'I will tell you everything to-morrow.' "'Everything, will you not?' cried the old man. "'Go to bed. To-morrow our happy life will begin.'" End of chapter 15